Hello, and welcome to episode 21 of the Medical Device Success podcast, and for this series, it's also a videocast. I am Ted Newell, your host, and this is the third of a three-part series on virtual trade shows, events, and alternatives. In this episode, we explore what the doctors have to say about this virtual world that we are living in. And to help us with this subject matter, we are honored to have a multidisciplinary panel of five doctors with us today. We have an ophthalmologist, a gastroenterologist, a radiologist, an emergency medicine physician, and a family practitioner. This episode was produced in collaboration with the Bixel Medical Marketing Group team. They've been very helpful, and it's always a pleasure to work with them. So let's get on to the subject. Welcome, everybody, to this multidisciplinary panel of physicians to help us understand the whole subject matter of virtual trade shows, virtual events, and alternatives. And this particular program is to get the input of physicians on this subject. We've had two previous episodes where we talked about other issues, and now we want to hear from physicians as they as they explain their feelings about a number of different questions that we're going to pose today. So to get started, I, I'm going to, I've introduced myself. Most people know me, Ted Newell. I'm the host of the program, so I won't say anything more than that. If anybody listens to my podcasts, they know who I am, but uh, Lisa, brief introduction. So I'm Lisa Bixel and I'm CEO of Bixel Medical Marketing Group. And on this call, we're trying to be representative of our industry colleagues uh, from medical device and biotech, all the sales and marketing folks out there who are trying to better understand how to do marketing and uh, commercial activity in, in this new world order. So that's, that's me, Lauren. Lauren? I am the events service line manager for Bixel Medical Marketing Group. And I echo what Lisa said and bring a unique perspective as somebody who is now in the trenches working at virtual events. And so the three of us are collaborating in this three-part series, and I've collaborated with Bixel Medical Marketing Group on a couple other podcasts as well. So we're, we're used to working together, and it's a, gr- it's a great team effort. So uh, let's introduce the doctors quickly. Uh, Dr. Rosen. I'm Dr. Richard Rosen. I'm Chief of Retina at the New York Eye and Ear Infirmary of Mount Sinai in Manhattan. Um, my practice is primarily retina, and uh, I'm also involved in, in imaging research uh, here at the infirmary. Okay. Uh, Dr. Murphy, you have to unmute yourself. Yep. Hi, I'm Dr. Brianna Murphy. I'm an emergency physician uh, practicing at St. John's Hospital in Springfield, Illinois. Well, in, in our household, we love emergency physicians because my wife is a retired emergency physician. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dr. Linver. Hi, my name is Mike Linver. I'm a uh, retired uh, breast imaging radiologist. I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico for 37 years, just transplanted to Alexandria, Virginia to be with my daughter and grandchildren. Uh, I still uh, teach and put on uh, conferences all around the country and around the world uh, pretty actively about 20 weeks a year. Okay. 
Dr. Komanduri? I am uh, Sri Komanduri. I'm a gastroenterologist at uh, Northwestern University in Chicago. And finally, uh, Dr. McCreary. Hi, Dr. Stephanie McCreary. I am a family practice physician in Colorado Springs, Colorado, working uh, through Centura Health. Okay, excellent. All right, so we'll get to the first priority area of um, discussion. And, you know, we're talking about here the three kinds of professionally driven events at this this time. You know, there are national society congresses, regional society meetings, and then there's local uh, society meetings or local chapter meetings. And by that, it could be a city group or it could be a state group. Um, And we know that national meetings have gone virtual. Some regional meetings have gone virtual. Some specialty, um, uh, small subspecialty meetings have gone virtual. Like I attended a gene therapy meeting the other day. So the first question I have for everybody, and we'll start with uh, Dr. Rosen and we'll work across, but have you attended a society organized virtual uh, conference yet? Uh, yes. By, by, by virtual conference, I mean one that it's not just a webcast. It right. is something that has, um, you know, extra functions like where you can visit a, a, an exhibit or maybe visit a, um, a sponsor of the program. So I'm sorry, Dr. Rosen. So the, uh, the most recent one was the American Society for Retina Specialists, which was held just a couple of weeks ago. And actually the Um, the retina society is another one that's coming up. Um, there haven't been that I've seen a a lot of sponsored, um, exhibits. There, there's some, but it's, I think that it seems that the, uh, the commercial partners are still trying to, uh, figure out what's the best way to bring physicians in. Uh, you know, a lot of what we a lot of what draws physicians to in a live conference are uh, the sort of social events. So the, the exhibits are held where in between breaks. And so that in, in people you sort of mixed in with uh, getting to talk with your colleagues and it's a very sort of informal thing. So it's, it's more, it's much more challenging in terms of the online because I think it's, it's gotta be more directed that people are not going to necessarily go to see an, an exhibit unless they have a particular interest in a, in a product. Okay. How about you, Dr. Murphy? I have not had a chance to go to any quite yet. And do you, have you been invited to one that you might want to attend or do you see one that in the near future before the end of the year that you might want to attend? You know, I'll be honest. I don't know if um, ASAP has pushed theirs back further but I know theirs is usually every fall. So I'm interested to see how they're going to do the, our big emergency medicine conference this year, but I would definitely be interested in going. Okay. We've been on a call with them recently and they are going to do a virtual one and we're in the planning stages of that. So mm-hmm. uh, that is your, your opportunity. And I think Lauren, isn't that uh, October? I was going to say it's usually yeah. October. Yeah. So October. on, on schedule, but it will be virtual hundred percent. Cool. Okay. Dr. Lindver. I haven't actually attended one. Uh, a virtual meeting yet. I, I just put on one, a three-day uh, conference uh, that uh, was challenging, to say the least. Um, but I haven't gotten much feedback from the attendees, although um, the ones who did comment uh, so far, it was it was pretty favorable, considering it was our first foray into the 
virtual uh, situation and we had some some issues but I must say uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what the RSNA is going to do uh, the Radiology Society of North America it's uh, 60,000 radiologists in uh, Chicago it usually fills all of McCormick Place so it's a huge meeting and I know they're organizing it virtually and I I can't even imagine the challenges after my little 100 person <laughs> meeting that I put on it's interesting on that one, just real quickly, we've been in several conversations this week with RSNA because several of our clients um, do uh, go to the radiology conference and um, they're actually expecting that if they can, they're going to breach 100,000 attendees because of it going virtual, they have a much bigger draw without travel in, involved. So it's interesting, it might actually grow to be pretty, you know, much more significant. And Dr. Linver, for your program, are you using a straightforward webinar type of platform to deliver the, the content, or did you use a, a more advanced platform? Um, it was uh, a little more advanced. Um, it was a company called Whova. I don't know if you know them. Would you repeat that, please? It was a company called Whova, W-H-O-V-A. Okay. Their platform. It was a mixture of, of their platform, and uh, they used Zoom and uh and so we had mostly pre-recorded lectures, but also live sessions of Q&A. And we had participation from uh, about 15 vendors. Okay. Uh, which was really interesting the way we did it. I'll talk about it later. Okay. So that's probably a little bit more like the uh, gene therapy meeting I attended, uh, which was a platform called Hopin. And it was actually quite good, I thought. So uh, Dr. Komanduri, how about you? Yeah, I can uh, uh, have a little bit of a different perspective for you. That the um, um, I have not been to a virtual meeting that has a vendor involvement, but um, the one of my roles is uh, as a chair on the American Gastroenterology Association of uh, a committee or center called the, the Center for GI Innovation and Technology. Every year, we put on a, what's called the AGA Tech Summit, which is a a different type of meeting than most of us are used to. It's a meeting for uh, industry and the medical device, uh, venture capitalists, investors, innovators who are who are creating new technology in the GI and surgical space. Uh, and so we have had, uh, I have been involved sort of intimately in, in creating, uh, how do we create that environment for uh, industry to be successful? Um, when they're actually the participants, um, but also on the backside, how do we look at some of these vendor fairs and, and, and sort of how do we bring those in on, on the societal side? So kind of more in the planning side, more than the um, on how to do it rather than actually being a part of it as of yet. Okay. Well, that's quite interesting. Um, and then Dr. McCreary? <clears throat> um, yeah, so I have not had the opportunity to do any of the um, the conferences virtually yet and don't typically do the vendor uh, shows. But I do know the American Board of Family Medicine's conference is fully virtual this year. Typically it is next month. And I don't believe they've changed the dates. They've just changed it to a um, completely virtual affair. Okay. <clears throat> so for the two of you that um, have actually participated in and or delivered a conference, um, so that's Dr. Rosen and Dr. Linver. Um, you know, Dr. Rosen, you mentioned that it seemed like they were having difficulty <clears throat> getting the vendors involved in the ASRS, in the, at least this first iteration of, of a virtual meeting. 
you know, did what what other things did you like or dislike? I mean, obviously you dislike the fact that you mentioned that you, you can't just run into people in the hallway and catch up or you know schedule a coffee or whatever it might be. Uh, one of the people on one of our previous programs called that the emotive, uh, the lack of emotive contact in a virtual conference. Well, any other things that you liked or disliked about what you what you participated in? Well, I think that um, you know the the advantage of having people who normally couldn't travel or to participate. So I know that we we do I do a lot of local teaching um, at the infirmary as well. And so our morning conferences have all gone virtual. Uh, they're on, on Zoom. And so I get a much wider participation than uh, typically, you know, people are busy seeing patients. So they say, well, yeah, my clinic starts early, I can't come in, but they'll tune in. So a lot of the faculty that, that may not be available. So I think that probably because of the ability of people to just tune in from wherever they are, I think there's there's definitely uh, opportunity for bigger audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, how to get how to engage them is 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 definitely a challenge, and I I'm interested to hear how Dr. Lindbergh's uh, meeting went because it sounds uh, sounds interesting. And then Dr. Rosen, did you try to? explore one of the vendors like how whatever they were set up to if they had a virtual booth did you take a look at, at that or did you, did you did you even have time I, I really didn't have a lot of time to do that so I think you know the other thing that it's difficult is you know it's easy to go to a meeting where it's live and in person and sit for several hours but to sit in front of a screen for several hours is a little more challenging and, and how to how to get people uh, engaged when you're doing that. So right. I, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure the answer, but uh, it, it's something that's coming up. I know that the American Academy of Ophthalmology is also going to be entirely virtual and that's a pretty big meeting with usually about 20,000, something like that. Yeah. Right. Um, and I've, I've been involved with that for a number of years. So everybody's sort of struggling. I know that they are going to have vendors. They haven't really come up with a game plan yet. They're right. trying to figure out. Uh, I mean, that's that's a major part of their whole their whole program, and um, it's going to be interesting. See right, how right. And then, Dr. Lindbergh, did you do you know if people participated or engaged with your uh, vendors at all? That was, or was there a way for them to participate or engage with a vendor on your platform? Yes, there were uh, a couple of ways. We had uh, vendor portals, which any of the uh, attendees could. Uh, could communicate with at any time. Uh, we had a chat capability uh, with any of the vendors as well, but we also included the vendors in the program uh, several different ways. Uh, one way was that we had what we called lunch and learns, mm-hmm. which we've always had. Uh, of course, people had to have lunch on their own. <laughs> we couldn't provide the lunch like we usually do, but uh, we uh, were able to uh, get three vendors each day of the meeting to sponsor a lunch and learn. And they, they brought in excellent speakers, uh, including a fellow from uh, Holland who was doing a research on uh, uh, virtual, on, on uh, uh, AR, or AI rather. Uh, and um, it went very, I think they were pretty well attended, uh, those lunch and learn sessions. 
as far as I could tell. We don't, I don't have all the numbers yet. It was just last week, so I haven't seen all the numbers. But it seemed like people commented that they enjoyed the lectures uh, provided by the vendors or sponsored by the vendors, even though they were not CME accredited. Uh, and the other way we got people involved was we had a vendor, uh, what we call it an exhibitor roundtable. It was a one-hour session. We asked each vendor to give us a pre-recorded five-minute show, so to speak, of, of, their, uh, of their best and latest stuff. And, it just, and we just rotated one after another. Uh, there were nine participants, so each five minutes, so we had 45 minutes. And then there was a 15-minute period after that where the attendees could contact any of the vendors through the chat room or uh, by texting. So, um, it, and it went pretty well, and it seemed like people were interested. I heard a lot of a positive, saw a lot of positive comments about the, the roundtable. Uh, so that's, it, it was actually pretty interesting that we were able to get the vendors involved uh, on, on a couple of different levels. And uh, I, haven't, I haven't yet seen the numbers yet to see how many actually participated, but it seemed to be a fairly large number. Hey, Ted, hey. do you mind if I jump in? Yeah, go ahead. So this brings a great point up for I think everyone to consider and I'd love to um, tee this up and then get each person's response. You know, you, you all have a major society that you belong to. If there is to be successful major society congresses like normal, we have to kind of think about this in the big picture. Um, a lot of the congresses are losing a lot of money by not having their in-person event. They look to industry to support or supplement that, you know, revenue that they're losing. But in the larger venues, when your time is spent in the scientific sessions and you get, again, they call it Zoom fatigue, I think, lately, um, for sitting at your computer and you might not visit the exhibitors, you know, this, this idea kind of unravels. I mean, we're all highly dependent on each other. So as a, as a company, as an industry vendor, um, I wouldn't necessarily be so inclined to go to the big events because you won't have time to come to my booth. If I just support the smaller regional chapters then that's probably more likely what I would do. So if we think that through, if, if I'm not supporting the big annual Congress virtually and you're, then your society can't make the revenue because we're not there, they're not going to put on that show maybe because they won't have the revenue to, to do so. So it kind of, like I said, it kind of unravels. What are your thoughts on how do we make it work for all the partners, all the players in that equation? <laughs> Jump you know, ball. And I'm going to, well, I'm, well, I'm going to start with Dr. Kumanduri because he is exploring this issue right now, essentially with, uh, with what he was explaining before, if I'm correct. I'm just curious how he, how he feels about that and what they're looking at in terms of solutions or moving forward. Yeah, I'm sure everyone has had these discussions uh, in planning their meetings uh, in terms of uh, what is value, not value, how do we get funding. As you all know, to run these meetings, we need industry funding uh, in general for the most part. And what can you provide back that has value? Uh, when I can't see you face to face and you know talk about a product, 
Um, I would actually argue toward Lisa's point where this may be better, um, you know, when you're just kind of walking around booths and, you know, taking the free stuff and pretending like you actually care that has little value. But when you, uh, uh, I think the first point that we're looking at is separation of parts. Uh, and I think uh, the advantage of not having simultaneous, you know, I'm giving a lecture and you're stuck in a booth. Um, and, you know, we, we both are on the same sort of uh, techno- or technology or, or disease state. Uh, and you can't get the people who are listening to me at the moment. And I can't get to the people who want to come talk to you. So we're creating a conflict there a little bit. And distance is a problem. You know, the radiology world, uh, McCormick Place, you know, I'm in Chicago. That's a disaster. Uh, I mean, I get tired walking from one lecture to the next and I can, there's no way I'm going to make it to your booth. So boy, Zoom makes it a lot more interesting, especially in Zoom. I, I sort of mean the virtual platform world, but with, you know, breakout rooms and vendor rooms and having sort of, Hey, I'll click, you know, I want to go here. And that's where, you know, Boston scientific is for the day. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity to create sort of, um, uh, a targeted and approach to meeting with vendors, but also getting the right people who have actual interest in talking about your product, as opposed to people who are just walking around looking for the cappuccino. So I think it's a great way uh, to expand the reach if done appropriately. I think there's a, and we're still battling with this is, is how do you get it all done? How do you, you know, even within zoom, it's not like I can just click all over and just walk into a room. At least I'm not aware of that, but you kind of have to have somebody, chaperone or lead you into these rooms. And so I think there's a, uh, a technical side of this. And then I will speak also to the idea of that fatigue, because one of the things we're struggling with uh, is there's just no way to have an eight hour Zoom session. Uh, I think it's impractical unless you are, in fact, what we're doing with some of our meetings is making them modular. So we, we're going to sell, uh, instead of saying, come to this course, which is three days long, you can now buy the morning module, the afternoon module based on your interest set. Um, and I think, uh, that is a piece. Otherwise you split these up into multiple days or multiple sessions over a period of time. That's another thing we're looking at. And then to your point, how do you tie, it might be easier to, uh, based on what you're covering in that module to tie the vendor outreach to that and sort of have breakout rooms available with the relative vendors to that program for that half day. Uh, so I think there's a lot of nuances to it, but I do think it, it may be something we look to moving forward in terms of how we integrate the interaction between physicians and industry because it's just to me it makes a hell of a lot more sense than what we have now with the i'm sure that i know how much it costs for uh, companies to be in those exhibit halls which i i I would love to see the actual yield of some of that (laughs) in terms of cost spend uh which i can't imagine is is fantastic but i think this would be a, a great opportunity to do that so what i'm hearing there is that if a society actually puts together um a compelling program and the ability for vendors to participate, it might be a little bit up to the vendor as to also find a way to, to maximize their participation and, and contact with physicians, but it'll, it'll be different. We have to do it differently. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what it does is it gives us a creative opportunity. I think we've been so pigeonholed into a way that everybody does it. We all do it the same regardless of subspecialty. Uh, and I think this is a refreshing moment to think about how do we do it better with less cost? And I think we can do it. And I, and I think it actually makes more sense. It also potentially keeps it even cleaner for, for CME events and, you know, where they're not people just walking around and, you know, it, it really separates industry from the, the sort of science uh, in the way people want it to. And from a purist perspective, um, but also gives the 
from the industry side, I'm paying for this course and I'm supporting it and you're giving opportunity for everyone to now come talk to me and, and I may get a little bit of a higher yield on my return investment. And, and Dr. Rosen, if you're reflecting on the ASRS and what Dr. Kamanduri just said, I mean, what's your reaction to that? I mean, going forward to another type of meeting, whether it's the AAO or, or who knows? Right. So, you know, I, I could see, you know, this idea of having the availability of sort of multiple channels, you know, within a setting that, that would give the, um, you know, the, the participant choice in terms of where they want to go and maybe somehow linking um, the, uh, the commercial sponsors, the, the industry sponsors, uh, to, you know, particular areas of interest. So if there's, you know, if we're talking about, for instance, uh, vitreoretinal retinal surgery. So, you know, there, you're going to have a program that's sort of focused on vitreoretinal retinal surgery and there'll be some surgeons and, and maybe there'll be a sprinkle of some of the um, sort of lunch and learn type of infomercial things. I've done some of those in, in some meetings. They do a lot of that in Europe in some of the bigger meetings where they'll have, you know, that specifically their commercial programs that are sort of inter, interspersed with the more academic scientific section, um, specifically to teach the participants about new products. And they'll be very well um, scripted, uh, you know, programs that will be, but they're, they're obviously very, um, you know, oriented towards particular products. And I think that that is very informative and, 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 you know, maybe having the availability of those uh, pre-recorded for the, uh, for the, the person coming to the meeting. So, you know, if I want to go there and I want to learn about some new particular procedure or new device that, and I'm going to go into this particular section, it would immediately uh, you know, I could see on on a on a menu that that I could f- learn about that specifically because there's a oh, there's a, there's always this problem with information overload, um, and there's certain things that you're interested in, certain things to say, well, that's not really my area of of interest. So it's you know, I don't want to spend a lot of time sitting watching that. I want to watch what I want to what I want to know. I mean, maybe I'll dabble in something that I'm kind of interested in learning about, but it's not my field. In some way linking linking the, the the commercial programs to the scientific part sure sure and for uh, those of you that haven't participated yet in a large virtual conference um, any thought of about what you what you would like to see I mean now that you've heard some comments about this any thoughts about what you would like to see uh, um, dr. Murphy Um, I would just say that I think it does make sense to have some sort of like offshoot from like Dr. Rosen was saying, the, the academic discussion. Uh, I think emergency physicians notoriously have a kind of short attention span. So if it's something that I can kind of browse on my own while maybe somebody's getting into the nitty gritty details in a lecture that I'm honestly not paying all that much attention to, that might be beneficial for someone like me where I can still kind of pay attention to what's happening, but also look at whatever device might tie into that lecture um, and see how it would be applicable. Okay. 
And what about you, Dr. McCreary? Sorry, I had you on mute. Um, yeah, I, I feel like most of what I would do virtually would be education only, um, primarily because I, I have difficulty with focus if I'm not in person. Um, I, I have trouble following speakers when I can't actively participate. Um, so I would only do a, the bare minimum of what I had to virtually because of my own learning style. Okay, okay. And uh, just a, a comment on the gene therapy meeting I attended and the platform they used. Uh, they did have some unique ways for the few sponsors. We were just one of three sponsors for this small meeting, 120 uh, industry people. Uh, they had like a speed dating or speed networking during breaks, and that worked quite well. Um, they, had it, they had it very well organized. You could link up with somebody for five minutes. The timer was on, so you saw how much time you had to talk to somebody. Um, and then you could extend it. If you were heavily into a, uh, an important conversation, you could, you could both agree to extend the, the conversation and you click a button and you keep going. And then there was another button that you clicked and you could exchange your uh, information like business card. So it was uh, the speed dating, in addition to their ability to go to a so-called booth, was uh, quite interesting. And for us, it was very valuable. We, we walked away from this small meeting uh, very happy with the contacts that we made. So, um, okay, so one thing, I, I don't know, Lisa, is there a, or Lauren? I was going to say, just as I look at the clock and I realize we only have 20 minutes of everybody on this call, and I know we've requested that the additional questions in our document that Ted forwarded, boy, if you all could just indulge us and, you know, even chip away at some of those questions and answer those and submit them back, that would be incredibly valuable and would appreciate your time immensely. But I, Ted, I'd love to just switch gears. Honestly, I feel like we've got a lot of good input on the event side, and I'd love to switch to just now um, direct interaction with field sales teams and those kinds of questions. Well, I'd like to ask two questions still on the event side really okay. quickly. One is, and this is a quick question, does, uh, for all of you, does your practice or your institution or clinic have any rules in place right now that don't allow you to attend a face-to-face -face meeting? Good question. Yeah, um, I, I can answer that. I mean, I would normally go, I, I go to meetings, you know, maybe once or twice a month, generally. Um, and they basically have said, you know, it's almost like an act of God to, to be able to go someplace. Of course, because in New York now, there are only a few states you can go without taking a two-week vacation afterward. So, <laughs> you know, so they, they make it very difficult, and, and that's a problem. One, one other comment I just wanted to make real quickly is that, you know, we've all gotten very comfortable with this channel surfing kind of mode of watching um you know, video at home. I don't, I don't, you know, where you, you have, you know, thousand channels where you can go through or something. So, you know, you know, building on what people are, have become comfortable with, I think is, is where a lot of these meetings going to have to go. You know, we're used to a meeting where basically the organizers have everything very well laid out in terms of what order they want people to be exposed to things. And maybe they're going to have to start thinking a little bit out of the box more in terms of, of, of what they get on cable, you know, 
that that might be a way to eliminate some of this Zoom fatigue. Sure, sure. Okay. And um, um, Dr. Komanduri, do you have any restrictions? Yeah, uh, very similar. I think um, they've sort of issued a global statement of uh, non-attendance of uh, sort of things that we don't feel are mandatory uh, academically. Um, no question, the same thing applies for high uh, sort of uh, prevalent states where we're not supposed to go, period. But um, I think it's discouraged at this point, uh, but it's not uh, mandated that we can't do it. And Dr. McCreary? Yeah, so my organization has basically said they'll only pay for things that are done virtually. So if we want to, it's on us. And then, again, the same rules uh, as earlier stated, depending on where we go and what we do, we get a vacation afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. How about you, uh, Dr. Murphy? You know, I actually need to check into this because I just started a new job 10 days ago. Um, But the institution that I was at previously pretty much said, you're not allowed to travel anywhere. That was, that may have changed in the past several weeks now that things are getting cautiously a little bit better. Um, But so I'm not sure right now. I would assume it's probably about the same as what Dr. Comender raises. And the reason I ask is because we have heard a number of, in our research in the past, physicians saying that uh, they are, they do not want to put their practice at risk, coming back from a meeting where they're exposed, now they're quarantined for 14 days, they can't practice. Or if they were infected, they don't want to put their practice or their hospital colleagues at, at risk. So there's a lot at stake here compared to an auto convention, for example. Um, these are doctors with patients, and these doctors are responsible for revenue and care. Um, so anyway, that's one of the reasons I asked that question. Uh, then the, the next question that comes after that is, if there was a local meeting, like uh, something in, in New York or in Colorado, where you could drive to it, let's say, maybe not right now, but um, uh, December, January, whatever, would you be willing to attend one if you knew there was social distancing and there were a lot of uh, conditions in place to protect it, but you don't have to stay in a hotel. You can just drive to attend. Um, What do you think? Um, I'll I'll start with Dr. Komanduri on that. Yeah, it's a, you know, I don't know what I would say at this point. I think I'm fairly comfortable, comfortable in my virtual world. Um, Uh, I think obviously each of this goes beyond the medicine and how we each behave and with our own families and, and what's going on and, and how prevalent the disease is. I think we're getting more comfortable. Uh, we are internally meeting with reps, you know, company reps are back in a little bit into our hospital. We are having meetings. So then you start talking about, you know, attending and uh, it has gone into your question has gone into our decisions on why meetings are going virtual even next year. So I'll give you an example. The American GI Association has already declared that they are not planning to do anything in person in 2021. Wow. So okay. that's a huge decision. And so I think that that speaks to the success of the virtual conference, but it also speaks to the lack of comfort that the pressure I put on faculty to say, hey, you're invited to speak at my course you feel like you have to go and whether they're comfortable or not. And, you know, I don't know that many of us are comfortable getting on a plane right now anyway, uh, nor will I be, you know, until someone puts a needle in my butt 
so to speak. But at the same point, um, uh, I think it would be difficult. Uh, and and I, I just don't know how effective it would be given everything else in the back of our, and it's weighing on our heads. I know people who are doing it who can do it great. And I'm sure maybe even some of the people on this panel have no, no reservations. But uh, I think from my perspective, it would be very challenging. Dr. Linver? No, I, I would uh, not want to attend anything in, in person, regardless of how close it is. I don't even see my grandchildren across the street in person. Okay. Uh, which is really difficult, I can tell you. No <laughs> doubt. Um, yeah, I'm 75. I'm not going to take a risk. Sure, sure. And Dr. Rosen? Well, yeah, I'm actually involved in the planning of a meeting that was, <laughs> you know, we, we have our 200th anniversary this year, and we had to move that back till next year. Uh, and uh, ocular surgery news, um, I'm also one of the, the planners for that. And um, we just decided to go virtual and that's going to be lo a local meeting here in New York, but you know, trying to get most of the faculty, uh, you know, don't want to come out. Sure. Sure. So. And, and Dr. Murphy. I tell people all the time, I feel safer at work than I do even going to the grocery store. So I probably would not be going to anything even locally in person right now. Okay. And Dr. McCreary. Um, again, for you know personal reasons, I'm not sure that I would go to a meeting right now. I am personally immunocompromised. Um, however, the the numbers in Colorado are extraordinarily low. I apologize for that. Right, you, you, need to feed, you need to feed that dog. <laughs> she sees neighbors. Uh, I apologize. Um, so. Because because of my immunocompromised state, it would be highly dependent on what the um, the virus status would be at that point. Um, that said, the numbers have been extraordinarily low in our area, and because of that, my comfort being out in public, I think, is more prevalent than in some other areas of the country. Okay. Okay. Great. Okay. So we'll move on to where. Um uh, Lisa wanted to go, and is that uh, the sales access session? Yeah, you know, I, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to ask this of you, and Dr. Comandre, you, you sort of uh, tipped that uh, already, is that, you know, you're allowing some representatives to come into your facility and to meet with them, but, uh, you know, from a marketing perspective, and again, that's what I'm trying to represent here for most all of our colleagues, is that, you know, we look at uh, the ways that we can reach you all. And uh, we typically might do it through an event, a workshop, a user meeting, whatever. And those are sort of shut down except for, you know, going virtual. And now you've got a lot of uh, competition for that virtual time of yours now as well for those kinds of events. The other avenue we had to communicate our message as a, as a marketer is through our field sales team. And that has been shut down to some degree. So we'd really like to understand how might we get to you um, with our new product or new indications or new clinical data or any of that kind of information, um, realizing that you're very busy and that, you know, again, you're being bombarded by a lot of us who are trying to get your attention. So just trying to get some tips from you as to what you would respond to and what you like, don't like about, you know, our, our efforts to, to try and connect with you. Go ahead. You can start, Dr. Cumminderi. Okay. Uh, um, you know, I think the, the, this is an important question. I think one of the unique things about where I'm coming from for our specialty is we're uh, 
obviously proceduralist. And so the one thing we haven't talked about is so much of our course content is hands-on. Uh, and that's a huge problem for even all the solutions we talked about is we just, you, there's no way to replicate that virtually. So, uh, and that may be beyond the scope of this discussion, but that's, that's something that has to be considered. Uh, and that's something that's driving our field to really think about how quickly can we get into smaller sessions and smaller groups to do this. Um, but as far as, <clears throat> you know, um, the, the, the discussion and I've sat through, um, and we specifically have innovation all the time and new reps and new companies and coming through. Uh, and we also generally have also had sometimes reps who are just with us for a day in a room and all of that is gone. And, and to some degree, potentially for good reasons, I think, and better, I think we're scrutinizing the need for them for very specific opportunities of new innovation, new technology. Um, I think we are, we have started letting some of those people back in when it is something we are implementing that is new, uh, that does really require their presence. But beyond that, um, it's virtual. You know, I've had lots of coffee and meetings with people I would have normally sat down with in the hospital and, and just kind of talk through, uh, I think, um, you know, those who are interested in talking to them before are still interested in talking to them. Uh, I think we perceive their struggle. I think they're, you know, in a lot of the, my roles, I, again, believe in, you know, that relationship is critical between us and, and industry. And so we have to foster that and we can't kill that. Um, that being said, it's going to be challenging for many of us to have them kind of coming in and out uh, into the the sort of suites and the rooms and, and meeting with them. And uh, so I think um, I think there are virtual ways to just like we you know we haven't lost our ability to teach our fellows and residents and uh, it's the same it's just another interaction I think that has to go virtual short of something that just has to be shown uh, and touched but I think beyond that uh, you're going to see a drastic drop off it's just going to be the way of the future. Yeah, so in ophthalmology, which I'm more familiar with, and where Dr. Rosen's involved is, you know, you're right. We have a lot of wet labs at um, at a Congress of, for related to a number of different technologies and different surgical procedures and subspecialties. So that is that is definitely a disadvantage. And Dr. Rosen, um, have you participated in any virtual conversations with reps? How do you expect people to reach you? Well, they're starting to let some of the reps back in. Um, uh, it, but, you know, we're still having problems, you know, a lot of the internet, I, I do a lot of international work and, uh, you know, people are not coming from Europe. They're not coming from uh, Canada. So it, it's, it is creating a problem. I, I think that uh, we do a lot of stuff on, on zoom, you know, where we're, in, it's an installation of a new product. Um, but it's, uh, you know, so we're still trying to work out some of these kinks in terms of how to, how to continue or restore business as usual and just work around with, with some sort of, I mean, fortunately, we do have the platform of, of you know, the virtual platform to, to, to work from. But a lot of the things that we would normally do in person, uh, people can't travel to, to, to do that. But for the people that you, when you say some of the reps are coming are being allowed to come back in, is it because they have a really specific purpose to be there as opposed to uh, just coming in for a, a normal sit down chat, catch up with you? And yeah, normally they, they, there there are some very specific things. So the surgical reps that we need uh, when we have new products and that sort of thing that that. They're not introducing new things, but a lot of them act as technical reps um, to assist physicians with 
you know, new procedures and, and, and new products. So they're, they are being let in now. Okay. They have opened it up here. In New so York. more like case coverage to support a case. To support a case. Um, I'm seeing that, you know, I'm, I've noticed in the last week or so that they're starting to let uh, some of the, uh, you know, the pharmaceutical reps come, come back in because they, they bring in, you know, samples, which a lot of that is necessary to uh, continue the flow of, of, of medications for a lot of these patients. So it is opening up a little bit more in New York. I think we, you know, we, we had it really bad and now the numbers are really down here and, and people are, are pretty good. I'd say 70% of people are wearing masks. So they're, they're pretty, they're, they bought into the idea here because I think enough people were killed early that, you know, the rest of them got worried about it. And so New Yorkers tend to be a little more strict about it. So they, they have gotten the numbers down to the point where they're starting to feel more comfortable about letting some of the activities resume. Dr. McCreary, what about your practice? How, how are sales reps managed in your practice area? So because I am hospital employed, they have been limited anyways, but um, just because of our, our rules, but uh, they're not anybody that does come in, whether it's from a um, ancillary service or uh, for specialty drugs that we do use, they are not allowed actually back in the office. They have to stay out in the waiting room and, and uh, that's the extent of our interaction right now. And have you participated in any virtual meetings with a, a commercial person, a sales rep or vendor? No, I have not. I have not. But in the past, would you have had some, before pre-COVID, might you have an interaction with a sales rep in your practice that was coming through to try to encourage you to use one of their products? Um, yes, I did before. I was private practice historically, and um, you know, I, I transitioned into hospital employment uh, about a year ago, and so it was before COVID became an issue. And my interaction with sales reps previously was was far more significant. I would see them on the on a daily basis, um, and I know that locally that has changed as well. And now they are all limited, uh, similar to how I've been limited since I've been hospital employed. So, Ted, um, a question to the team, just so we know it's limited. And I appreciate all the variances between you guys and your, you know, your industry uh, activity. What do we do? Um, so how do we connect with you? Are you receptive to some other alternative? Could I ask you for your cell phone so I could text you ju judiciously about some new information so I can, I can break through? How, how do I connect? Because my livelihood depends on it. So if I can just answer what we have had, um, more of a, an, an introductory training thing. I mean, this is more specifically for fellows um, surgical fellows where we've had the um, one of the, the, the surgical reps uh, conduct a session where uh, faculty and fellows were were involved and they went through uh, you know show a show and tell sort of thing and discussion of uh, you know some new products and some new techniques 
So I think, you know, setting those kinds of meetings up um, off hours, I think, is, is seemed to work pretty well. And they seem to get pretty good feedback from that. And that was virtual or was that virtual? Okay. Virtual. Okay. Okay. But, but people showed some videos and so they're, you know, they, they could actually, it wasn't hands on, but you know, you got the sense of, of what, you know, what the procedures were. It wasn't just looking at a, a you know, a card or, or, or a, a PowerPoint. It was more video based and discussion of, of what was going on. Go ahead, Dr. Cummender. Sorry, just one on that line. You know, what we uh, in GI, what we've done at Northwestern is once a year, we used to have something called a device fair, which we would, uh, when in person, would be, a, you know, 20, 30 companies that would set up shop and kind of bring their newest and greatest. And we would uh, block physician schedules and spend uh, an hour or two um, walking around. And, and you could basically go where you want to and learn almost like a little exhibitor space. Uh, we are entertaining doing that this year virtually as part of one of our faculty meetings and, and basically have, have them come in, give three to five minute presentations on sort of what's new in the GI space and uh, sort of just hear us out. And then afterwards, people can contact the, those who they want to talk to. So uh, and we're going to do this across our system. So this is, you know, 13 hospitals, you know, probably over 100 gastroenterologists. So I think uh, it's these types of things are creative and I think there are ways that if divisions really are interested can, can start doing things like this without, you know, again, not having people in your hospital not worrying about, you know, all the, anything being violated, but you know, an hour or two hours of, of time uh, I think is valuable uh, for everybody. But would you trust somebody or would you willingly provide a sales rep with like your cell phone so they could text you? Uh, I mean, I, I bet you the majority of physicians don't want to do that. I mean, I think those of us who are sort of, I mean, some of these people you're, you're almost friendly with and you know, you know them yeah. well. So yeah, I think that does happen periodically. It definitely work, happens in the procedural space because we do frequently need to contact them for, Hey, we're low on some supply or we need your help on this case. So uh, we text all the time. So that's in the GI world, surgical world. I think that definitely already happens uh, and is not frowned upon. But that being said, for every new company that's coming through, I don't necessarily want to be texted or, or sure called right is there anything that we haven't suggested i mean the webinar sounds good the hospital or health system initiated device fair is brilliant um i hope more people more systems do that but is there any other creative thing that you all have experienced or would suggest we do Nope. If you're looking for something a little bit more personal, I mean, it's always an option to see if you can um, maybe get five to 10 minutes at the start of a department meeting in one particular location. I think for emergency medicine, that's probably the best way to do it because obviously you're not going to be talking to us in the middle of a shift when we don't even have time to go to the bathroom. Um, but so department meetings and then um, like our residency program has weekly small group learning sessions where we've had device reps from like CMAC or Glidescope come in and talk to the residents and show them how to use the, um, the equipment. So options there too. Thanks. And what might attract you to, let's say, a, a, cause we've seen a lot of webinars being done. So a lot of industry really picked up steam on the webinars because they knew doctors were had spare time. And a lot of these webinars um, have been very well attended. Uh, what would attract you to a webinar if we have time to answer that question? Um, have Dr. Well, yeah, Dr. McCreary, what would attract you to some type of promotional but educational webinar? 
Um, you know, I, I, again, historically enjoyed talking to the drug reps. I, I, I'm not heavily procedural, but enjoyed talking to the drug reps about the new medications. Uh, for example, you know, diabetes has been huge recently in the, in, in, um, developments and new medications and understanding and learning how they work. And I know that, you know, my organization has prevented me from having as much interaction with the drug reps. So, you know, when it comes to new medications, new drugs, I don't necessarily need a lunch uh, offered to me to be willing to learn about these medications and, and, and um, new treatment options for patients. I've found that, you know, the, the farther removed I am from residency, the less I learn about these new things. And so I, you know, honestly, just having it set up probably at lunchtime because timing is the most important part of my day. Um, and, and, and trying to schedule anything as a parent and, and full-time physician, I, you know, I, I think just taking advantage of the right time of day and, and the right topics, you know, I, things that pertain to what I do versus things that pertain to, you know, what, what a, a retina specialist does. Um, it, it doesn't take a lot to entice me. Uh, a free pin. A free, a free what? A free ballpoint pen. Right? Oh, exactly. And a clock that says something about Viagra. Right. <laughs> well, the reason I think uh, Lisa's asking that question is because, for example, one of the new things is an organization called Eat Engage, and um, where they will deliver a meal for you. Um, so you, while you're participating in some webinar or prior to it, so you have a nice meal and you get to be educated about something. Um, Dr. Linver, any comment on this particular subject? Well, uh, you know, in, in breast imaging, uh, we're uh, by law, we have to get 15 hours of uh, CME every year in specifically in breast imaging. So that drives people to want to attend something that, where they get CME credits. So I think even these webinars, if they offer CME credits, uh, it's a lot more uh, of, a, of a force to get people to, uh, to attend. And, and that does drive a lot of the breast imaging meetings because of this mandatory 15 hours people have to have every three years. Uh, so I think that's one thing that, that makes it a little easier to get uh, radiologists who, are, do, who do breast imaging to attend. Um, so it's a, it's a unique situation in, in within uh, within radiology and, and, and within medicine. Okay. Any other, go, Dr. Komanduri, looks like you have a comment? Uh, no, just that, you know, I think the, what you're asking also is uh, coming from the industry side, because I think uh, from a university, you can't particularly control what I do at Northwestern University, nor can you control what I do at the AGA. So I think, but what you can do is Obviously, everyone's attention is is to be had right now, and and as you, any sort of virtual sort of event is, is is capturing a ton of people. So I think as a company uh, who wants to advance, I think really putting on a you know a good educational event that centers around with the right people, you're going to get people. You're going to get a lot more people now uh, to pay attention than you would uh, probably six months to a year ago. So I think you have a window of tremendous opportunity. People are very zoomed in, no pun intended, but I think it's a, um, uh, a great opportunity for companies themselves because it's very hard for you to come to me and say, hey, will you do this as Northwestern or AGA? And, and, and that's not going to happen. We have our own priorities. So I think on, on their own side, it, uh, it should not be a marketing uh, presentation. It should be a purely educational event that really highlights uh, what they have. And I think you'll get 
you know, tremendous sort of uh, interest in that side. Okay. Well, I think we've taken up um, yeah. a good hour here and really appreciate everybody's participation. This has just been terrific. A lot of good information for us to share with industry. Uh, Lisa, Lauren, anything you want to wrap up with? Um, I'll just say again uh, how much I appreciate your time today because we do hear in one-on-one -on -one conversations and in maybe some groups like this uh, in the past several months, but I think this is an ever-changing, ever-evolving topic and, and world, certainly for you know the medical industry. So we needed a booster shot. We needed to hear from you fresh today about your perspective, what's going on, what do you know, what do you like, and all that. So again, appreciate your time. And um, so, yeah, just thank you. Lauren? Echoing what Lisa said, I think that there's still so many more questions and everybody in the industry is very hungry to hear, you know, physicians stances on these questions, whether it be for an industry sponsored program or a society program or, you know, especially reps interactions. So this, I think, had some very valuable insights, but there's just so much more. So as Lisa was saying, you know, if you guys do have any time to answer any additional questions, we'd really appreciate it. And we appreciate you taking time out of your incredibly busy schedules to spend the hour this morning with us. Thanks. Okay. And with that, I'll officially end this program. And um, this is, this is where I'll edit things out from here on forward. But again, thank you very much for being here and have a great day. What's left of it and a Thanks great so. weekend. Stay safe. <laughs> Let's Appreciate get a vaccine, right? All right. Thanks. Take All care. Right. Okay. So, All right. So three of us. Well, we, so much to cover. I know. There's a lot to cover, but it was interesting that um, – Board. Yeah. And, and you can see this resistance, this resistance to. I know, which is why I like the diversity, because, you know, had we had we only had just the guys, I think we would have heard a different opinion. But right. adding Dr. Murphy and Dr. McCrary gave us a, a balance that I was like, really? Wow. You know, you hear from one doctor, you hear from one doctor. It's not categorically, you know, translate that to everybody. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, it, it was very interesting, the, and the attitude, and, you know, you can still hear there's a lot of concern. Yeah. A lot of concern, so. Um, you know, the one thing I did hear, kind of loud and clear from Dr. Komondori, is that he likes the virtual platform better than ever in person, and I'm wondering how many other physicians echo that sentiment and would rather keep it virtual because that would have a huge impact on the events industry and people who are event professionals as well. Another thing I, you know, heard, and, and I wish we would have gotten the opinions of others of, you know, is it everybody needs a needle in their butt <laughs> to be able to travel again, or what are the stipulations for that? So, um, you know, I think getting the answer to that specific question would be huge as well. Um, one other that I'm really hoping that they answer is, what um, industry tactics are they being inundated with right now? I heard loud and clear that they don't want to be marketed to. They want educational programs. Right. right. So, and I don't think there's a lot of industry people right now who are doing it. Maybe at the beginning of COVID, everybody was trying to teach us how to survive COVID. Right. But now it's definitely swung back towards the marketing perspective. I don't think the physicians are ready yet. Yeah, in ophthalmology, I noticed it's a lot of uh, marketing education. So it is stuff that 
could be of value. And when I talk to the uh, publishers that help um, uh, sponsor some of these meetings or help organize these webinars and stuff, they say the attendance has been through the roof. Of course, at the moment, people still have time yeah. to do this, even though even when they're opening, or at least they did a month ago, I don't know how they're doing as they reopen practices or try to reopen practices. Um, and I think it depends on your specialty. Like, you know, Dr. McCreary, Dr. Murphy, uh, no, they got no time. They're on the front line. You know, a yeah. family practitioner, emergency physician, oh, yeah. They, you know, they don't have the time that uh, Komandori has as a gastroenterologist where it's elective procedures for your screening colonoscopy. Much different world. I think one thing to take away from Dr. Komandori's comments <clears throat> is, you know, he's an out-of-the-box thinker. Um, he can sort of see the potential of things going yeah. forward. And it, his comment that it might be that there are more opportunities here if people get creative and think about how to do it um, and, and have a more intense interaction with fewer people as opposed to sitting in a booth and having a lot of people go by that just sort of kick the tires or pick up a a uh, piece of candy from a bowl right. or whatever. Trick or treating, right, yeah. Right, exactly. Um, so I think that that could that's a very interesting comment. Um, so, yeah, very good program. In fact, I'm going to look at our little conversation here afterwards, and I might include parts of this at the very end because sort of as a summary and a, as a wrap-up of what we've done. Yeah, I don't – I mean, aside from – well, I can't think of anything that really wouldn't be appropriate that you could fold in just as – as a closure, right? Because we're going to be talking to our colleagues and it's fine for us to have a little behind the scenes chat. Okay. Very a good. good series. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's excellent. I'm really, really pleased. And, um, all we'll right. Be, Sounds we'll good. We'll be communicating and you guys have a, a great weekend. Thanks, Thanks, you so, much. Thanks so much for your help in, in organizing this and, you know, creating the, the flow of questions and everything like that. This is terrific. Sure. You bet. Glad all to have right. done it. All right. Thanks. Bye. Take care. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye. Yeah, right, well, there's a lot to digest here. You know, there's the possibility that entire conferences will go virtual in the future or a good portion of the conference will be virtual. And that could lead to a couple things. One is they will have greater attendance overall, but the in-person attendance could be markedly reduced which means there's even less potential for exhibitors on the floor at these meetings. So it really requires industry to get more creative with what they're doing virtually. There's a lot of unanswered questions, especially about the emotive component of a virtual conference that we're missing. How do doctors, how does industry do the networking that they rely on sometimes for your career, in addition to just getting additional business. All these opportunities in the traditional sense are gone. How do we make up for them going forward? We have to learn. It's too early to tell. Now, when it comes to contacting doctors, this definitely requires new techniques, and we've been talking about this, and, and new skills and new sales processes. And you have to get creative, for example, with the traditional lunch and learn, or maybe it's breakfast and learn, or coffee and learn. Everybody's going to be trying to book this up. So how do you stand out 
in your lunch and learn. Perhaps, perhaps you team up with a uh, a non-competing company that's in the same space as you are, calling on the same specialty. And because the two of you are together in a lunch or le- and learn, you actually make it more robust and more interesting for people to attend. That might get you at the top of the list for lunch and learns when you're dealing with admins and offices and or doctors. So really hope you enjoyed this series of three podcasts and video casts. Hope you picked up even a couple pearls of wisdom that might mean the difference between you know success and failure. And of course, as time goes by, we're going to learn a lot more about this new environment we're working with in, and we will bring back this learning to you and we will share it with you. So hope you liked the series. If you did, please rate this uh, video cast and podcast, recommend it to a friend, and subscribe. Again, thanks so much for being here and participating with us and uh, spending your time with us. Now go when you're weak. <laughs>